Welcome to Devotions in the Deep End. I'm Cam Buchanan from Mount Gambier, Australia, and this is my quest to teach the whole New Testament as deeply and helpfully as I can. So grab your Bible and a beverage of choice, and let's take a few intentional minutes together in the deep end. Welcome back to Devotions in the Deep End. We've been exploring some great things about the early ministry of Jesus, and we're now at what is believed to be a significant point. It's roughly the end of Jesus' first year of public ministry, something known among the scholars as the Year of Inauguration. Jesus has announced his kingdom and is now beginning to field some significant criticism. We're going to explore a major example of this criticism by looking at Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. Let's read that now. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Jesus said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. At the center of these verses is the sacred Hebrew event called the Sabbath. The Jewish Sabbath was introduced to the people of Israel during their time in the wilderness. And we read about this in Exodus chapter 16. This comes from a Hebrew word that translates simply as stop, cease, or rest. On the seventh day of the week, which is Saturday by today's standards, the people of Israel were commanded by God to rest. This command came at a time when their food was being miraculously provided for every day. But the sixth day yielded enough for them to not have to go out and work on the seventh day. As far as God was concerned, his people needed to stop and rest often. And he even set the standard for this himself by apparently resting after the creation of the world. This would eventually be added to the Ten Commandments. Keep the Sabbath day holy and sacred. Don't touch it. Keep it as a set-apart day dedicated to God. Later, in Exodus chapter 31, it even became a capital offense if you broke it. Reading further along again, in Leviticus 25, we see that this extended even to the fields they worked in. The land itself was to cease and rest every seven years. We have to conclude from all this that God wanted his people to have a vocabulary that included the word rest, as well as habits that led to this being a reality in all of life. And they were to recognize the Lord as the holy provider of rest. 
By trusting him and resting, they were kept safe on those days in the wilderness. Their food didn't run out, and they weren't attacked by outside forces. And in the lands they inherited, the ground renewed itself because of the rest it was given. There was lots of compelling reasons for the Sabbath to be present in the rhythms of God's people. Now, the passage we've just read takes place some 1,500 years after all that was put in place. And these standards are now in the hands of a new breed of Jewish leaders to uphold, the Pharisees we've been getting to know over the last few episodes. In their zeal for moral and ritualistic purity, Israel's religious leadership had worked the Old Testament law out down to the finest detail. They even created bylaws to ensure each part was flawlessly carried out. And now all these deliberations are headed on a collision course with the person who was actually there when the law was carved in stone. We read that the disciples are walking through a grain field, and as far as they could tell from the Old Testament, they were doing the perfectly legal thing of picking kernels of grain and eating them as they walked along. It was a Saturday, so there were no sickles, there was no tools or baskets involved. This was considered perfectly acceptable practice. But the scrutinizing Pharisees believed otherwise. Among the bylaws they'd made, they could list off 39 categories of labor that could be considered Sabbath-breaking behavior. Technically, pulling a handful of grain kernels qualified as an act of reaping. So the disciples were walking with Jesus, partaking in a light snack they believed they were legally permitted to have on a Saturday stroll through a field. But the Pharisees are calling out the disciples on this with the belief that they had capital charges to answer. And sadly, it gets even worse. A man comes to worship in a local synagogue, and he happens to have a deformity. Seeing a person in this state should have moved any religious leader in touch with their neighborhood. Remember that this is taking place in an agricultural community. It's an economy designed around manual labor. So a man's livelihood is affected by this. But there's no love or empathy towards him from the Pharisees. In all honesty, not that much value either. Certainly not as a fellow worshiper. The value they do see in him is to make him a plaything for their case against Jesus. Think about that for a moment. They're using a sick man as bait to a known healer and miracle worker. They're appealing to Jesus' compassion in order to capture him in a seemingly unlawful act. This is what Jesus walks into. Now, let's consider how he responds. This starts with Jesus slaying three sacred cows. The first one, your beloved not yet King David desecrated your rituals. How do you process that? Here's the story. 1 Samuel chapter 21 tells of David being on the run from Saul and also being in need of food and supplies. He is able to find help from a priest named Ahimelech, who in mercy supplies him with bread. The issue is that the bread had been offered in thanks to the Lord, so in reality, David was not actually permitted to eat it. The priest gave that food away, because feeding a hungry person was an act of mercy fitting for a man of God. The second one is this, your sacred beloved priests desecrate the Sabbath every single week. Again, how do you Pharisees reconcile that? Here's how that works. Sabbath offerings to the Lord at the temple were double that of any other day. And this meant hard work for the priests on those days. Are we catching the Pharisaic double standard here? A holy man, a priest, can pull double duty on the Sabbath. 
sacred bread can be given in mercy to an unclean, hungry person. But men picking a few heads of grain in a field on a day of leisure and rest face the death penalty. This attitude feeds into the third issue that Jesus has. Your ritual is coming at a cost that you cannot afford. Jesus once again comes back to Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, making the point that for the Pharisees, mercy was once again being sacrificed at the altar of ritual. And as a result, ordained rest was becoming more burdensome than work itself. And Jesus was not satisfied with this being Israel's present reality. The Sabbath in and of itself was a good thing, and Jesus says as much in this passage. But it was never designed to be a source of fear or bondage for the people to whom it was prescribed. This new breed of leadership took something that was once a thing of beauty and turned it into something disastrous and harmful. What good was a day of rest when the ritual made it a burden? In this passage, Jesus puts his hands all over the sacred Sabbath and makes it his own again. He was clear to the Pharisees that day, I am the Lord of all things, including the Sabbath. I know what it says. I know what it means. I know how it is to be practiced. I know what it is intended for. I know all this because I declared it to Israel 1,500 years ago. He goes on to say, let me tell you what I told Israel through Hosea 700 years prior. You have your ritual and your custom and your sacrifice. Yet right under your nose, you have people in desperate need of mercy, and you refuse to administer it because you won't break your custom to do so. The Sabbath was made for men, to ensure they didn't work themselves to death, to ensure they took time to reflect on the Father's provision and trust Him, to replenish themselves and through their agency allow the earth to restore also. It was about man's welfare and God's care for them. Jesus addresses His critics here, You do know something about care, don't you? You at least value your animals, right? Even if on a Sabbath a lamb falls down a hole, you'll move heaven and earth to get it out and safe again, won't you? Why is this? It's because it's profitable to do so. So let's talk about this man you've put in front of me to try to set me up. He is a person of value to me. Sure, it's a Sabbath, but he's in trouble now. He's my fallen sheep, and I can change that. So now, you be the judge. Does what I'm about to do fall into one of your 39 categories of work? Could it be a medical procedure which is not life-threatening and therefore unlawful labor? Or perhaps I could be seen as performing a priestly act here. You might call it an act of desecration, but you can overlook it on a technicality. Or do we go deeper again? Is this a lost sheep being restored to full relationship and worship by the shepherd of his soul? I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, and I'm going to do what I do and bring rest to this man now. Because doing good is completely legal, especially on a Sabbath day. Friend, stretch out your hand, have your life back, and rest in God's provision to you. Now let's reflect on this a little bit. Many of you have listened to this simply as a podcast, but some of you are hearing this as part of a Christian radio schedule as well. Wherever you may be, the idea of Sabbath might simply mean in your Western Christian mindset what we get up to on a Sunday. You may be a little dismissive here because you're a regular at a local church, or you might even be bracing for my sales pitch about why you should be in one. If I took the Pharisaic approach where your outward behavior meant more than your heart, then I most certainly could try that path. But that's not entirely what the Sabbath was about. It's clear that God instituted the Sabbath. He created it. 
It's not a man-made thing. And it wasn't just to give us another rule to follow. It wasn't simply a day where everyone was forced to go to church. If we look at the scriptures, God's people always had him at close quarters. Worship done right was an everyday thing. We're reminded of that for Christians in Romans chapter 12. Instead, Sabbath was a call to rest. It was created and modeled by God the Father and endorsed by Jesus as something made for you and me. Jesus presents himself as Lord of the Sabbath. He was there at its very design, and he says that it was made for us. And the Lord of the Sabbath, in his deity, its creator, observed the Sabbath in his humanity. At creation, God modeled rest. In person, Jesus also modeled rest. He promoted this to his disciples. He participated in Sabbath observances in the synagogues, and he never set out to do away with it in any of his teaching. For this reason, I emphatically endorse a rhythm of Sabbath as a God-placed necessity for rest, for recreation, and for worship. In our modern Western setting, we simply don't stop enough. We don't rest enough. We don't reflect enough. We wear ourselves out hard and often. We're often on the brink of burnout, and for Christians, the doing of our faith can actually get in the way of simply being. Sabbath is God's way of allowing ourselves to replenish, trusting that He as our provider will have everything in order when we get back to the work at hand. But if we validate our Sabbath as merely the observance of a ritual without rest or reflection, then we're kind of missing the point. Church on a Sunday certainly can be a valid part of our Sabbath cycle. And it should be no surprise that I would endorse this habit. But to make it all about that, instead of simply having a healthy rhythm of stopping and resting, we'll reduce it to something more pharisaic than it's intended to be. Let's end this time together now with a word of prayer. Jesus, thank you for Sabbath. You didn't do away with it. Instead, you explained its intent. Help me to see it as a gift from God. Help me to add this to the rhythms of my life. Help me to rest, to reflect, to worship freely, to trust you in all things, even those things I can't control in a state of rest. Let mercy, not ritual, freely flow. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. To learn more about this podcast and other ministries I'm involved in, go to my new website, www.ministryinthedeepend.com.au. You can also find me on Facebook, Instagram, and even YouTube. So please like, follow, subscribe, connect, and comment wherever you can. I'll look forward to catching up next time. See you then.